Welcome all to this week's conversation with short, insightful discussions with CX leaders to prepare for tomorrow's consumer based on what we know today. Uh, beautiful day in Boston. Today I'm joined by Ian Golding, a true CX specialist. He's a highly influential, let me get my notebook out of my way, freelance CX consultant, advises leading companies on CX strategy, measurement, improvement, and of course, employee advocacy. Uh, he's an internationally renowned speaker and blogger on the subject of CX. And I think actually Ian was the first ever CCXP, Certified Customer Experience Professional, uh, an authorized resource and training provider. Uh, today, he splits his time between consulting and sharing his knowledge through years of experience. It's my pleasure to be joined by Ian to tackle CX maturity and the importance of a conversational platform. Ian, how are you? I am fantastic. Thank you so much, Terence, for your lovely introduction and for saying such nice things about me. Um, I'm in the UK, as you know, just so everyone knows, mm. and it's not really that sunny here right now, but but that's probably what you expect from the UK. Yeah, you guys see sun, what, once or twice a year, right? Every now and then. Yeah, every now and then. Uh, no, Ian, it's great to talk to you. Uh, I have to do my part, of course, to make you sound as special as possible, right? <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, how have you been uh, the past 14 months? How have you been learning, challenging yourself, anything new? Um, you know, I, as I may have said to you before, I call myself a specialist intentionally because I, I believe that we never stop learning and there is no better way to keep learning during, you know, the, an unprecedented pandemic that throws every all the rule books out the window. Mm -hmm. um, and the last 14 months have been fascinating, largely because I spent most of my time on an aeroplane. Now I spend all of my time sitting down, but not on an aeroplane, but just in front of a screen. Yeah. Um, but, but what's been interesting about the last 14 months is the desire of organizations to learn seems to have increased. And some of that is because they haven't had a choice. You know, we, we, we can't carry on the way we were before. We've got to find different ways of doing things. And some of that is because I think people have, have had a little bit more time you know, the lack of traveling, the lack of, you know, unnecessary things mm -hmm. and moving around has given us a little bit more time to, to think about how do we evolve our thinking? Yeah, I think uh, I, Joseph Michelli said this on a, a streaming session we had a few months back. Uh, there's been a lot of still, even, you know, amidst all of the pain and, and horror of what we've experienced the past 14 months, there's, there has been some good, right? And uh, 100%. I think you're getting to that. Um so you know, and, and yeah. Some of that good is, I, I think, we have all had time to reflect, right. you know, as we were all sent home, you know, we, we weren't able to, to do the things that we wanted to do. We were suddenly put back with our families, you know, for a, a much longer periods of time. Right. And I think it, it has increased a sense of humanity a little bit more. Um, not, not everywhere, but I think we've become more conscious of the importance of living. Um, and, and that can't be a bad thing. Of course. Uh, and as someone who's got a year and a half old daughter at home, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I've been around for all of the good and scary, terrifying moments. I, I bet you have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Ian, uh, to put yourself in the shoes of a consumer, have you had any particularly memorable experiences uh, to share? Um, you know, I, I, I do want to share an experience, but it, it's a, a, there's a caveat to what I'm about to say, because my story is a very emotional one. But I think... Mm. It, it, uh, either unfortunately or fortunately, it sort of sums up the pandemic for me. 
Um, I very unfortunately lost my dad at the end of January. Now, he's been ill for a very long time. Um, so it's not entirely unexpected. But mm. in January this year, both he and my mum contracted COVID at the same time. Now, wow. they were both living in a care home together. And they both got it at the same time. And they were both sent to the local hospital. Both of them were put in separate COVID wards. Now, as soon as this happens, as far as we're concerned as a family, you know, this is probably going to be it for my dad. You know, he's very weak. And so that's that's probably the end. And so all we wanted was for my mum to just have a little bit of time with my dad, you know, to say goodbye. Right. And you'd think that would be an easy thing to sort out. But it was it was a nightmare. Just trying to speak to the hospital was an impossibility mm. you know, because hospitals are doing a wonderful job of that. There's no doubt. Right. The medical teams are doing a wonderful job. But what about the administrators? Who's thinking about the families? You know, the people who have got loved ones inside these hospitals. I couldn't speak to anyone. I mm. went online. I phoned people. I, you know, I couldn't get through to a human. So. I ended up having to go to the hospital, almost bashing the door down just to get in to say, please, you know, my, th this could possibly be the last chance my mum has to see my dad. Mm. Eventually, I found a nurse who completely understood. And I can't tell you how wonderful this woman was. And she said, you know, we're, we're, we'll, we'll deal with this. And to cut a long story short, she ended up, she wasn't supposed to. But she ended up taking my mum to my dad. So she wow. could say goodbye for the last time. And it was such an emotional thing to see. But it happened because that nurse understood. You know, but this isn't just about one person understanding. You know, we right. need everyone in the organisation to be thinking about this. You know, and thinking not just about the tasks in front of them, but about the experience that everyone is having and you know, really taking the time to think and act in the interests of the customer. So I, I know I, I'm not intending to pull on people's heartstrings, but I think it's just a very pertinent story to bring to life the importance of empathy. Yeah, no. Um, and, and sorry, of course, that uh, you've been going through this difficult Thank time. You. It's not an easy thing. Um, but uh, naturally, you, know, you, you do bridge and connect that to the importance of the customer, like you just said today, to take the time to understand, to empathize. Uh, there's some absolute truth in that. So, and it, and it shouldn't be difficult. You know, we're we're going to talk about conversational platforms. You know, yeah. that shouldn't be a difficult thing for me to have been able to talk to someone. You know, and and not necessarily face to face, but you know, someone to be there that I can communicate with. Right. But, you know, they didn't have that, and so it was it was almost like there was a brick wall in front of you. And I think yes, I'm talking about a, a medical health scenario. But how many brick walls have been put up in front of people over the last 14 months where right. we just help, felt helpless? Well, there's, what, what can I do? You know, I, I can't afford to pay my electricity bill. You know, what, what do I do? You know, who do I speak to? How do I speak to them? You know, it, it sort of manuset fests itself in everything that people have been going through. Absolutely. Um, and you do segue us to, to my next question for you right away, Ian, was, you know, recap this past year for me. Uh, in the eyes of a consumer, right? So much has changed with the digital transformation. I make the joke constantly that my wife and I were, were the epitome of the customer today. We're in our sweatpants, we're on the couch, we're making orders, whereas we may have gone shopping for it in the past. 
Um, what did you keep a close eye on as it pertains to Trek in general this past year? And what have you seen? So firstly, just to confirm, I put trousers on for this interview. Yeah. So, <laughs> pants. yeah I do have pants on for this interview. Just good, to be good. Yeah. Um, it's not always the case, but today I did. Are they, um, are they Lululemon pants? Or do they have any sort of elasticity to them, Ian? That's <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's interesting what we've chosen to wear. But anyway, right. um, to your question, the thing that I've kept a very close eye on is emotion, which does connect a little bit to my, my story. But... Um, I think what we have seen more than ever before is the significance of the way human emotion changes. And when something happens to us, we go through a variety of emotions. Yeah. When that pandemic first hit and lockdowns first happened in March last year, you know, we went through a, a, almost an immediate change of emotion from fear to anger to frustration, to um, uncertainty. And mm. as time went on, that emotion radically changed. Now, what we're actually talking about, for, for those that have studied change, we're talking a little bit like an adaptation of the Cotter change curve, which some people may have come across. You know, And we've always known that humans' emotion adapts to change, but this is change that we've never, in, in our lifetimes, you've not experienced this. You know, the, the last um, generation that went through radical change like this are generations that went through wartime. Uh, you know, I, I can only imagine. Um, yeah. And, you know, that that's a, a huge thing. That The problem is that that emotion is still fluctuating ra rapidly and randomly, depending on where you live in the world. That there is still a huge amount of uncertainty. You know, I I'm lucky to be in the UK and we have had a very successful vaccination program. So, you know, we're sort of seeing light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. But, you know, there are other countries like Brazil, like India right now. You know, quite frankly, when is this ever going to end? And I think organizations that have adapted to that change of emotion, that recognized it from the beginning, they are the ones who will win in the long term. You know, when this first hit, I remember technology companies like Mural, for example, said, you know what? Have this for free. You know, you, you need to collaborate. Have our platform for free for three mm. months, you know, because you need it. And what they did was the right thing. You know, yes, they knew companies needed that, but they knew that actually, if you use this, you'll like it so much, you'll buy it. You'll, you'll want to buy it ongoing. And But how many traditional companies legacy industries didn't do that no 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 you know you've still got to pay you've still got to pay you could that you terms and conditions terms you know and this is why i think there will be some big winners as you say but there'll be some big losers as a result of all of this yeah and, and, the, and the, the the concept of cx maturity uh if you've got your cx maturity scorecard out were there any big winners from the past year and, and what were they doing right well, I think it, 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 it's a word I'm not a fan of, actually. But a lot of people said that it, it's that ability to pivot. Mm. You know, it's that ability to say, well, we can't carry on this way. What we've got to do is to think very differently about the situation our customers are now in and do it in a way that gives them that comfort, that, that reassurance, that ability to sense, do you know what, it is all going to be okay. You know, right. don't don't worry. It's fine. Now, um, many traditional retailers, um, you know, they, they if they hadn't done already, 
they had to very quickly look at, well, how do we go online? You know, now, um, uh, JC Penny, obviously, are a, a very interesting case study when it comes to customer experience. But, you know, JC Penny didn't really have an online presence. Now, the yeah. fact they still exist after the Ron Johnson, um, you know, scenario is a miracle anyway. But JC Penny have desperately been trying to catch up. You know, the, the biggest winner of all is Amazon. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, Amazon from the very beginning have prepared for a time like this. You, yeah. know, you know, did Jeff Bezos know that a pandemic was coming? Well, who knows? But hopefully right. not. But, you know, what they have been able to do is, well, not pivot, just carry on doing what they were doing before. But right. they were completely prepared for it. And I think this is this is the wake up call. You know, a lot of people say the pandemic was unprecedented. But, you know, that was the wrong thing, that the wrong way to think. You know, we have got to be prepared going forward for this to happen every year. Right. You know, it may never happen again, but we've got to be prepared for it happening again. And I'm old enough to remember Y2K. All right. I don't know if you are. But yes. the, the year 2000, all right, the preparation that went in to the year 2000. Right. Okay, why was it just for the year 2000? You know, and I think that that's almost the message for me that no longer can we claim these things are unprecedented. You know, mm. anything could happen tomorrow and we've got to be prepared to pivot to whatever happens. Yeah. And you, you mentioned Amazon, of course, what they really hammered home was convenience. Right. Uh, how could it get any easier? And I, I think I made the joke two weeks ago. Uh, you almost expect now with the work they're doing with drones and the, the talk they have about drones to start to see them flying around or to place a button order and and have it here within the hour. Do you know, uh, it, they will always continue to make it easier and easier. And, right. you know, uh, uh, I worked in online retail for seven years. Right. Many traditional retailers say, oh, we can't compete with that. But why not? You right. know, th this is about making what you do accessible, as you say, as easy as possible. And right. whilst Amazon sell a lot of the same stuff as everyone else, you know, if you have unique products, you know, what you've got to do is convince people that actually you can deliver it as simply as easily as Amazon do. And, right. and, and as a result, that they'll come to you. Um, so I, I'm sort of hoping that this has put people in a much better situation going forward. Again, I, I don't know if it's the same in the US, but most restaurants were not prepared for takeout, you know, mm -hmm. and suddenly they had to figure out how do I still give my food to people when we're not a takeaway, you, you know, we're, we're, you eat in. Yeah. But they're now all prepared to do it and they now all know how to do it. And so, you know, it, whenever these things happen, they can very quickly switch to delivering the same thing online um, and, and sending it to you rather than you coming to them. So, you know, I, I think it has made businesses realize that they cannot just, you know, dig their heads in the sands and yeah. say people will just come to us. They've got to think how to make their businesses better able to meet the changing needs and expectations of customers. And Ian, you brought up a good point before, and I want to uh, take a step back to talk further about it. You mentioned, of course, we talked about Amazon and convenience, right? And naturally, in the, in the sake of the, the case of the pandemic, what we saw, a lot of people, uh, I want it here tomorrow, I want it here fast, and it is convenient. But I think uh, if I'm reflecting on and uh, uh, articulating it correctly, Forrester came out with a, a research on uh, what makes and what drives people to buy and engage with your brand. Uh, and naturally, yes, convenience is a large part of it. Fit is a large part of it. Do they even offer what I'm looking for? Of course. But then the other piece is uh, alongside of saliency, 
right? Because we need to have the top of mind uh, for the consumer. The other piece is emotion. And you know, you led today's segment with emotion as a topic. Uh, and now this is obviously a medical example here. So if we translated or transferred over to like a retail shopping experience, you know, Ian, if you are to have uh, an engagement with a brand or a retailer that generates emotion, they said that's going to cause you to come back, right? That's going to differentiate the buying experience and give you a hundred percent. While you don't, uh, the terminology CX maturity, right? We can use it as we see fit. Um, but that is where we think, and Forrester has said, there's a huge opportunity for brands and companies. 100%. Right? Because if I can have that emotional connection with Ian, it doesn't matter how fast it gets to him, he's going to come back. And I completely agree with Forrester. And to, to validate that, for years I have shared that all experiences are made up of three elements, the functional, the accessible, and the emotional. Mm. Now, we've already spoken about the accessible, but that the functional element represents products and services. Right. And what we need to recognize is that most organizations on the planet were created to differentiate on those functional elements alone. You know, we were created to differentiate. We've got the best product, you know, the best service. That's why you come to us. Now, the problem is that unless that product or service is completely unique, it's very, very difficult, if not impossible, to differentiate on it now. Yeah. And that's why that accessible element has become so important. And that's what's fascinating about Amazon is that they don't sell anything that's unique. They sell the same stuff as everyone else. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's how easy they've made it to get to those products that differentiate right. them. But to your point, the third element is the emotional one. Right. And that is actually the most important of the three, because the emotional element represents the way the experience makes your customer feel. And the reason it's the most important is because the way the experience makes the customer feel is what they're most likely to remember. And with all experiences, we'll remember three things. We'll remember very good things. We'll remember very bad things. Or we'll remember nothing at all. And the key here is that third outcome is the worst of the three. Because if there is no recollection of the experience, it means there's no emotional connection between you and the customer. And right. so the next time they choose to do something, previous experiences will have very little influence on what they choose to do. And, you know, what's interesting about this pandemic is as a result of that heightened sense of emotion, customers that remember the bad things won't forget them. You know, you know, now in the past, maybe we might forget over time. But right. you know, when we're in this real high period of stress, you done, you've done something bad to your customer. That, that will be one of the stories they're going to keep telling for years. Right. Okay, but how many customers have not remembered the experience? You know, and, and that's the key, because if we want to differentiate, we have got to differentiate beyond our product or service. And so that's what I ask people to, to really focus on. What are your customers remembering about their experiences with you? Yeah, that's great. It reminds me of an anecdote. Uh, my wife and I, at the beginning of the pandemic, we had our patio done. Uh, she placed an order for some uh, patio furniture and it was a difficult time, obviously uh, trying times, right? Supply chains were all messed up. Uh, so I do understand. Uh, but uh, for my wife, a 16 week shipping yep. time with no communication updates. Yep. Uh, she has put a certain uh, home improvement retailer in the corner for good. And, and uh, you know, it's going to take a long time. You know, right. my wife is the same to turn her around, you know, and, and you know, the thing that my biggest bugbear at the moment is still 
when you have to contact an organization and the first thing you see on either the website or you're told on the, the phone call on the IVR is due to the pandemic, our wait times are longer than normal. Mm. Now, this thing's been going on for 14 months. You know, please don't tell me that you still haven't figured out how to deal with it. You yeah. know, it's like the pandemic is it's an excuse. You know, we're going to treat you slightly worse because, you know, we're, we're struggling. Right, It's not good enough. Right. You know, at the end of the day, you've got to find different ways to, to still meet the demands, the needs, the expectations of your customers. And as we know, disruptors, they can do that. They can do it very quickly, very easily. And, you know, that that's what we've got to be very cognizant of. It doesn't matter whether your business has existed for 300 years. You know, mm. if you start to fail to meet those needs of your customers. They will go somewhere else. This is a perfect segue, Ian. We should get to a conversation at some point. We're 22 minutes in, and I need to make sure we get to <laughs> platform. Uh, but the obvious answer, right, to those sorts of scenarios, you've got call, which is very expensive. You've got email, which takes multiple conversations, uh, email exchanges to get to the resolution for the client. Messaging appears to be the no-brainer, right? Conversational platforms. They're cheaper. Concurrency allows agents yeah. to handle multiple at once and meet you know, multiple visitors' needs. Uh, and uh, the resolution time is much faster for the yes. business. So the benefits are, are ubiquitous, right? Uh, but Ian, what, what shocks I advise, because you know, our world is conversation, uh, is the, the, the presence of poor messaging experiences still, or no plan at all for this yeah. engagement strategy. There's yeah. over 5 billion monthly active users of messaging today. Uh, so I think it's safe to say it's probably the preferred medium, right? People I message, uh, they I agree. App. Absolutely. Uh, and what stunned us is the, as I mentioned before, I'll use the word again, the ubiquitousness, ubiquitousness of the poor engagement experience with messaging. Uh, yes. What are you seeing on your end? We can't um, make I, I agree with you. And I think there is a, a reason for it personally. Mm. Um, and it's not unique to conversational platforms. I think it is a, a, a risk of all technology that's being thrown at organizations sure. is that what is the motivation for putting it in in the first place? You know, is the motivation to eliminate human interaction and save money? Or is the motivation to put that platform in place to improve the experience? Right. Now, that, because the motivation is very different. You know, I, I remember working with a bank in the Middle East and they said to me, um, I just need the, the, it was a person in their technology team said, I need to ask a question. I said, well, what is it? She said, well, we've, we've just turned on our um, AI bot for customer service on our website. Mm -hmm. And we've removed the phone number. So no one knows how to contact our contact center anymore because we want it all to go through Sarah. I, mean, I can't remember what she was called, but for argument's sake, Sarah. That would drive now, me to the wall, Ian. As a but our customers hate it. <laughs> you know, yeah. and we don't understand why they hate it. And the problem is, you know, that they, I said, well, why have you done that? Oh, well, because, you know, we needed to reduce the call volume so we could take heads out of the contact center. So whose benefit have you done that for? <laughs> you right. know, is that for the organization's benefit or the customer's benefit? And, right. you know, this is, this is such a common issue. You know, ultimately, if our mentality is that this technology can save us money, mm. you know, then, well, you will save money. You know, if you want to if you want to save money, fire everyone. You know, it's very easy to do and you'll cut cost immediately, but you will make the experience worse. I right. think my my bugbear is that people are adopting this brilliant technology, 
but without understanding the customer journey and how it needs to fit into the customer journey. And as a result, they're making the journey worse. Um, that's my problem. I, I also think it is vital that there is a recognition that just because it's um, virtual, for want of a better description, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that the interaction mustn't feel human. Right. You know, and, and ultimately, we need to ensure that whoever is responding to that contact by a customer, whether it be driven by bots and artificial intelligence or not, as far as the customer is concerned, it has to feel as though I'm interacting with a human. And, you know, I, I think far too often, to your point, it isn't. And, you know, it, what I love is when companies adopt conversational platforms, but they bring people in who know how to talk in that way. You know, it, it's not sort of very, you know, sort of stunted, you know, good afternoon, sir or madam, but but they speak in a human way. And, right. you know, it, it's that that's what we need. But I agree with you. It's just not happening enough. And as I say, my view is that it's it, unfortunately the conversation is too much about saving money rather mm. than improving the experience. Yeah, very interesting. And you bring up a good point. Uh, not only should uh, the human touch have a place there, right? But uh, the, 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 the human conversation, you should have a human uh, exposure is, is yes. what I'm looking for, right? Yes. If you've got that Alice bot or whatever there. Be transparent that there's a bot there. But I, yeah. That's right. The, you, know, uh, you know, we're not stupid. We know right. when we're talking to a person. Oh, um, Alice again. I caught Alice again at three in the morning. I keep yeah, that's three. right. <laughs> but, but, you know, but I think it's okay. You know, if it is, if it is a bot, yeah. that's fine. You know, but you're right. Let's be transparent and let people know, you right. know, you, that this is Alice, our amazingly capable, you know, robot, whatever. But yeah. at least I then know, you know, but where it is a real human, you know, just make that clear. You know, you're, you're talking to Terence today. Now, how, how is everything? You know, I'm in I'm in Chicago or whatever it is, and you know the sun's shining, and I'm really happy. Or you know, my my, my soccer team lost yesterday. I'm not happy today, but I'm here to help you. You know, just let's be human. That that's what this pandemic, I think, has given us the opportunity to be is right. a little bit more human. And just because it's a conversational platform doesn't mean we remove that human element. You right. know, I think ultimately the thing that is most likely to um, determine the way your customer feels is the way your people make them feel, mm. uh, whether that be face-to-face, -face, over the telephone, or through a conversational platform. Ian, uh, it's 11.30 Eastern. I've already kept you to the end of the time. Uh, any closing words? Uh, words you know, I... I am so grateful that you've asked me to have this chat. Um, it, you know, you and I haven't known each other for very long, but I, I think we could probably go on for hours talking yeah. about all this stuff. Um, and I mean what I'm about to say sincerely. I think organizations like yours are critical to organizations who are advancing their experiences mm -hmm. and who have a desire to improve the ability of the customer journey to meet the needs and expectations of their customers. But I think... They need to listen very carefully to how you advise that technology is brought into the journey. Mm. Um, and, you know, if that motivation is to genuinely improve the experience, it is companies like I advise that can absolutely make that happen. Well, Ian, thank you for saying that. And uh, it, the pleasure was all ours. You're always great to speak to, even though it's been a, a short while since we've actually known each other. And the next time I'm in the UK, I'll let you know and we can. Uh, 100%. Fingers crossed. 
Those are open, right? Absolutely. Uh, well, Ian, it was an absolute pleasure. I'll let you go. Thank you so much for the time. And uh, of course, any opportunity we get to talk to you again, we're going to try. Fantastic. It's a pleasure is all mine, Terence. Take care, Ian. Uh, everyone join us next week for a very special segment with Katie, excuse me, Kate Leggett of Forrester Research. Tune in at 11 a.m. Eastern time next Tuesday. See you then.